Nothing changes instantaneously. In a gradually heating bathtub, you'd be boiled to death before you knew it. Our Father, who art in heaven. Seriously? What the actual fuck? Gilead doesn't care about children. Gilead cares about power. Why does healing have to be the only goal? Why can't we be as furious as we feel? For whatever man sows, so shall he reap. Welcome to Above the Garage. Hi, friends. Up next in our character deep dive series, we have another group favorite, one Nicholas Blaine. He's from Michigan. That's all he'll tell you, but we're going to dive deeper. Like most of our characters, he's a figure who's stirred up plenty of debates on social media, debates being perhaps an understatement. But let's do our round of introductions and dive into Nick. Hi, I'm Yulia. Hi, I'm Violet. Hi, I'm Sarah. Hi, I'm Raquel. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Kate. All right, let's get started. Let's start like we did with the June episode and just go around and have everybody say, find out what they like or dislike about this character, like bigger picture, and then we will break it down further by season and dive deeper. All right, so who wants to go first? Who's got thoughts on Nick Blaine? What I like about Nick is that he's um, very kind, usually. He's not mistreating like women or children or other people like out of this or if they didn't deserve it <laughs> except for punishing commanders who are rapists and assholes and whatever right yeah because you see the other commanders being in a position where they can mistreat people and so they do i see what you mean uh violet i didn't really write down like a, what i liked about nick so much as just an observation i randomly had in the car yesterday was that like you guys know those like this is so random those posters that are like black and then you like scratch them off and there's like neon stuff underneath them. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's like black light. Yes, like yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I made that myself when I was a kid. Yeah, they're really cool. And I started thinking about like, that's like Nick in art to me mm. is like, you kind of don't like have any impressions about who he is really because he's so like just, you know, stoic and whatever. And But then the emotions kind of come through like throughout the show. So I don't know. That's just my first thought. I like that. <laughs> yeah. What was yours, Rachel? So, I mean, most of what we see about Nick on the show is in relation to June and his relationship with her. And so I feel like, you know, when I was getting to know Nick in the first two seasons, what I liked most about him is how he respected her space. He always perfectly read the situation. He read her body language. He read um, what she needed. And he was always giving her exactly what she needed and um, never crowding her, never forcing her. Everything was always on her terms. In my opinion, he's the perfect partner for her. And it's just like that always highlighted for me, like his character. And like, we're probably going to get into all of the other examples of things like this. But that was what I mainly thought about with my why do I like Nick answer. Sarah. Yeah. So the first thing I started thinking about when I uh, started writing this was actually uh, about how Nick is sort of like this underdog character. Like he comes from a very modest background, pre-Gilead. And although he does move up the ranks in Gilead over the years, he still, I think he holds on to his background. And also when it comes to June, he definitely sees himself as the underdog compared to Luke, her husband. So I guess that it's just really hard not to root for someone who's such an underdog, for me at least. Yeah. 
Same. I'm always a sucker for the underdog. Raquel, what do you have? Just like how selfless he is. I think that's one of his my favorite trait of him. That he doesn't expect anything from anything that he does. He doesn't expect anything back or he doesn't do it to, you know, with an agenda. Just seems to do the right thing because he feels it is the right thing to do. Yeah, that was mine too, selflessness. Um, you guys covered everything really well. But for me, it's his selflessness that stands out as different from other love interests, like across television too. I don't think that I legitimately don't really care about another couple ending up together or not on television anywhere near the degree that I like care about them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I'm always wondering why, like I do spend a lot of time thinking about it because I'm like, why did they like get under my brain like that, you know? And it is a lot specifically him. And I know it's the selflessness but it's what everybody said, you know, his complete lack of expectations. He does not think he's getting anything out of this in the long term. And yet he's giving it his soul. You know, it's just something you don't see very often. And, you know, Max's quiet performance of him clearly works very well for me. And he well, everyone got really lucky with the insane chemistry between the two of them. So it's probably the chemistry that actually sold them to me from the jump because I was a big fan from the pilot on before we even knew how selfless he was, you know. Mm -hmm. and feel like their chemistry legit feels almost tangible through the screen and I can't say I've experienced that either before on television I remember at the end of season one episode five when they finally get together on their own terms it was just like finally because the tension between the two of them had obviously always been leading to that moment you know mm -hmm. it was like a foregone conclusion since day one mm -hmm. which is why they didn't need to speak any words it was just a given that this is where they were heading and nothing would have prevented it it's kind of weird too thinking about that like almost as a slow burn because it's five episodes into the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It feels like so intense that you're like, finally, even though there's probably about five scenes between them. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's hardly any scenes, but it's overwhelming. And you're right. It feels slow because you're like, oh, just do it. <laughs> um, no, but on the note of like hardly any scenes together, that was back when they had scenes together. For the last okay. three seasons, they've been kept as far apart as possible for mm -hmm. 95 to 99% of the show yeah. screen time. And I'm like, oh, maybe they'll do another show together one day. I seriously <laughs> doubt that we're that lucky, but I would like to see more of their chemistry. Well, what you were saying about chemistry, it's like most TV shows, they try to force it. Like they just put characters together. It's like, you two are attractive. You guys will be attracted to each right. other and there'll be sparks. Sparks will fly on the show. Mm -hmm. It just And if not, fake it. It doesn't work that way. I mean, yeah. if, if the industry could bottle what Max and Lizzie have, like they would, right. everybody would make millions of dollars. It's, it's like they have something that's so natural. It's amazing when you think that they did not have a chemistry read um, prior to the show. I know. That's what I mean lucky man i don't think they'd ever met before i mean they, it was completely just luck and magic that yeah. they just sparked the way they do on screen and the show is so lucky to have them i wish they would utilize it more yeah it's yeah. interesting like in the old in the older hollywood days you know they would they would be making like a ton of movies with them once you see like two mm -hmm. people on yeah. screen like doing so well. even meg ryan and tom hanks like yep. when two people get along like really well on screen you're like oh Let's use that. That's what they need to do. They need to make like three rom-coms together in a row. Like yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tom and Meg. Dystopian rom-coms. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anything. I don't care. I'll watch Anything. It. Yeah. All right. Now let's go chronologically through his motivations by season. With June, we did pre-Gilead, in-Gilead, and post-Gilead. But since Nick is like Charlie on the MTA, do any of you get that reference? 
it's this old song my dad used to make me listen to. It's this guy that's stuck on a train in Chicago because you have to pay money to get off the train. And so every day his wife brings him a sandwich and inside the sandwich is a nickel so that he can get off the train. But he doesn't know the nickel is in the sandwich. So every single day he just keeps riding this train. She keeps giving him his lunch and he can never get off the train. Anyway, Nick's forever stuck in Gilead. That's my reference. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay, so chronologically. Oh, and briefly just... In Margaret Atwood's book, Nick is, like in the show, the driver, and he never gets promoted to commander. And the symposiums reveal he is a Mayday operative. Um, but that's book Nick. In the television show, we meet Nick as the driver and general house servant shoveling rocks right into the path of June as she leaves for her daily shopping trip. And she's as surprised as we are when he's pretty forward with her from the get-go, joking about his distaste of tuna. We can assume he's taking that risk because of some combination of the seemingly visceral attraction between the two and the fact that the first handmaid in the Waterford house hung herself. And he swore to himself he'd be more friendly with any future handmaids, make their lives a little less miserable. We later learn it was because of this woman's death that Nick asked to become an eye to report on Commander's illegal behaviors, and his first order of business was to have Commander Guthries, the commander that created the handmade system in the first place, arrested and killed. So, previous to June, but after the first offered killing herself, we know that Nick has been actively working to hurt the commanders that are abusing the women in Gilead. But I guess we should back up all the way to pre-Gilead Nick, though, to stick with the format we used for the June episode. Pre-Gilead, the only scenes they've shown of Nick are an employment office where he's struggling to keep a job because he has to keep leaving to track down his alcoholic brother. He's young, a teenager, so 18 or 19 max. He has a short temper, as we see when he attempts to start a fight with the impatient man behind him, and bad aim as he accidentally punches the employment office guy instead, who turns out to be Commander Price, or who will later become Commander Price. Price recognizes in Nick a young target who's exactly the kind of down-on-his-luck kid the sons of Jacob are initiating into their shiny new cult. But of course, he doesn't sell the opportunity as a cult. He simply offers Nick a job as a driver where he can work flexible hours as needed to take care of his family. As Nick only references his brother and dad having been laid off from the steel plant, we can assume his mother's either died or left them. I lean towards died because of the respectful way Nick treats all the women he encounters, mm -hmm. even Serena, even when it pisses me off. But regardless, this is all the backstory that we get of him, which is, for me indicates that his whole motivation is family, pre-Gilead. Mm -hmm. The desire to have a functional, loving family unit, not unlike June, but for very different reasons. What were you guys' thoughts, notes, etc.? Good summary. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think, like, he doesn't really think into the future very far at this point because he's yeah. just, like, at the paycheck, like, trying to support his family. So his future was, like, the next meal he was going to get or, like, the next bill he's going right. to pay or supporting his family. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, I don't know, he had a very, like, cynical, defeatist kind of attitude with Price um, when he met him at the diner. So he was in, like, obviously a very good position to be... Um, convinced Groomed. <laughs> to do whatever it took to support his family. So I don't think he really had goals or expectations, you know, like for his own future, because it would probably have been too depressing, honestly, like to hope for something and then have it be so far away from his reality. Yeah, you're right. right. Yeah, and I think he's like, you know, the world's like shit on us, kind of like, what am mm -hmm. I going to, I'm not going to hope for something like you're saying, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would even argue that it uh, didn't really matter what Price was actually working towards, like, yeah. because Price himself also used a, like, a wrong Bible um, quote. Mm -hmm. And Nick points that out because... Yeah, that's a good point. He's the real Christian in this. I mean, yeah. he, he cites the Bible throughout this show several times yeah. so that's an important detail yeah we can assume that he that he grew up christian i would say and he knows he knows the verses and 
he's not bribed by by their like faith or something he's mm -hmm. as you said just looking for a job to pay a bill exactly mm -hmm. to support his family yeah. and what seemed clear to me too in his one flashback episode was that he really had no clue what he was getting himself into and they didn't show like if they'd shown something a clip in between that meeting with price where they're getting coffee and him driving the limo just to give us an idea of what it was that broke him or what it was that he's heard Because we know he went to the meetings that Price invited him to. We don't know what he heard. And I very much doubt that they laid out all their entire idea and plan for Gilead on day one. I mean, I don't think he had. I think, you know, from what we've heard on the show, um, Sons of Jacob was focused on charity work. They were focused on, you know, family values. And yeah, of course, there's a, a fertility crisis that we need to do something about. They focused on the environment, cleaning up the environment. All of these sound like good, positive things. And if I joined a group like that, I'd be like, yeah, let's let's do this. <laughs> But it's it's like then over time, it evolves, it devolves, and it becomes this really violent and dangerous and scary thing that he's gotten himself into and he's probably observed how other people are treated when they try to get out or when they try to talk back or when they try and you know change what's going on and he sees probably through example why he shouldn't do those things and that keeps him in line maybe he was also broken down we don't know like there's mm -hmm. a whole period of time that we don't know about and I would love to see that but yeah um, I, it's clear to me he didn't know what he was getting himself into. Yeah, I think it's also kind of like what June says, right? Like the the slowly uh, boiling water analogy that she says, like that's the that's the way they get people into things like that, right? They like lure them in and then they slowly make it creepier <laughs> so that you're not aware of it until it's too late. So that feels very much like what happened to him in a different way. I think is also because we know for a fact that he needed a job. So I think he probably was given quite a good, I don't know, pay or as we said, like maybe like a schedule that was more flexible. And for him to walk away, even if he did have a sense of what he was getting into, it would have been more difficult than anybody else because he didn't really have anything else to fall back to. Like, you know, if you have a, a stable um, home or like a stable support system, maybe it'd be easier to like, you know, I don't agree with these. I'm going to walk away from it. But I don't think, I think he was put in a position where he needed them more than he might have needed his morals or what he thought was right at that time. He was a kid, like, I think in the pilot, he said that he's like 20, 21. That's already in Gilead, right? Is that how old he is? Wasn't he like 25 or six when, when June um, yeah. comes to the Waterford house in the pilot script, he said that he's 26. Yeah, but it had been like five years, right? Since yeah, so like, and we are in twenty seventeen, right? So yeah, okay. yes, that's it. Yeah, so at the beginning of Gilead, he was meant to be like twenty twenty one. Sorry. Yes, yeah, was mm -hmm. that maximum, like somewhere between nineteen and twenty one. So he must be like a teenager or like just during the price scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what really struck me with Nick was that although he seems to have. Uh, be from a religious home, or he seems to have had a religious upbringing, he doesn't really seem like a political person at all. He wouldn't care about those things that Price and the others want to do. He wouldn't be like, oh yeah, this is such a great idea, let's do it. But the thing is that, uh, especially when, when it comes to religious fanatics, that religion and politics are so very intertwined these days. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know that it's something that really uh, is a huge red flag for a lot of people. But I think uh, in Nick's case, he 
he really was in it for the job and not yeah. really for anything else. And he wasn't really any deeper than that. Yeah, I think yeah. it's probably like cynicism too, right? Because like he doesn't really think, like he says in the scene with Price, like I can't do anything about it. Nothing's going to change. Yeah. But even like I think throughout, you can see that on like the other flashback, he's like driving them around. And um, I think it's Fred that asks him what his opinion on the whole handmade thing is. And he's like, you know, I, I, he doesn't have an opinion because he's completely disillusioned. What's it called? Disillusioned? Yeah, with the whole thing. And like in general, with like, the way he kind of like talks about um, how the world is messed up and he can't do anything about it. But you can see that when he speaks to June as well uh, about like, you know, they're going to break you, everybody breaks. Um, there's nothing you can do. Like, I think we see him very early on not having any sort of like hopes for a better future for him or for anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's also why he's used in that sense of like, he just complies and just gets it done and but yeah, I think that's why he was such an easy target mm-hmm. as well, because he doesn't believe that what they're doing is making the world better. He never, I don't think he, he's ever bought into that. Right. I don't think he, you know, he ever really wanted to be part of it for the peculiar reasons. In that um, scene you were talking about in the limo, I think you see him just going along with it because he does have a reaction to... Guthrie describing the handmaid's process, round up the fertile women and impregnate them. He does have a reaction to it. So when later on, when Fred apologizes for Guthrie saying, you know, my apologies, he's a good commander, but he has, you know, I forget exactly what he said. Nick says, oh, I hadn't noticed her. I wasn't paying attention. I mean, he's lying. He did. He was listening to every word they were saying and he was having an internal reaction to it, but he's just going along with it. And so that I apply that to when he says it's important not to make attachments. There might be some truth to that for him, but I think at the same time, he's very much in that mode of just going along with everything, just agreeing, just keep your head down, just don't, you know, don't rock the system. And he doesn't, in his mind, like, I don't have an opinion. I don't have a personal view here. I'm not going to do anything that's going to get myself in trouble. So he just follows along with what's going, what's, what's happening. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of like the lack of self-worth thing too. Like he doesn't think that his opinion matters probably either, you know, like he's just kind of like, what difference does it make if I have an opinion one way or the other about this? Like, it's not going to change. Nothing's going to, no one's going to listen to me or care. So why even become emotionally invested in any of this? Yeah. And it seems too that he lost his brother, just in another script note. I mean, first of all, he stepped up to seemingly be the responsible one in the family, even though he was a child when whatever, all this bad luck struck them. But another thing that we learned that happened pre-Gilead, only in the script notes, so I guess it's not official because it wasn't shown on screen, but it was written that Nick would tell June that he lost his brother to, what was it, Jim Beam? What was the actual line? He watched his brother drink himself to death or mm-hmm. something like drink that. Drink himself to death. Uh-huh. Yeah, so so that brother is gone, at least in the script notes. <laughs> I mean, in the original script, maybe not. I don't think they're going to change that on screen. But anyway, um, I think that I don't know why, but I felt like when he said that in the car too, that it had something to do with his brother, Josh, like being gone, saying like, it doesn't matter. It won't change anything. That's true. Or wait, it's better not. And it's better not to get close to anyone. He said that in the car, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just seemed like he was talking more about his personal situation than applying it to necessarily the question that he was being asked i can completely it made like this kind of attachments make yourself vulnerable this is what got him the job or the like a place in the soj in the first place 
you know, is that he cared about his brother and his father and his family. So, well, and if his brother ended up dying anyway, then it's kind of like he would feel like, you know, what can I really do? Like it would feel even more like that was the case, like that he's not capable of helping anyone or making changes because his brother died anyway. So, yeah. So he, yeah. like, he kind of like joined this party and like he's part of like this horrible thing that's happened and he couldn't even help his family in the end. So, yeah. Yeah. The reason he did it didn't even be quite so, so destroying. Yeah. Right. Pretty depressing. Yeah, and I feel like Nick really wasn't wasn't really someone who had a lot of meaningful relationships outside his family. At least not at that point, he didn't. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And it doesn't sound like too like when you have alcoholics as your you know close support system or your close family, the people that care about you. You know, it's not very fulfilling because they're more concerned with trying to find their next fix Six. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't. Yeah, I don't think that he probably was ever. I don't know. It may be that he was never truly loved, depending on his mom's situation as well. We don't know what happened to his mom. Mm-hmm. All right. Now to Ingilead Nick. He's still merely a driver. So Serena's implications that they wouldn't be here without Nick later in season three seem extremely far-fetched. If he had played a major role in the takeover, he would certainly be a commander or at the very least have been issued a wife or like a participation trophy or just literally something that indicated his stature. As it stands, though, he seems like just another piece of property of the Waterfords. He seems to be keeping his head down to survive until, as I mentioned earlier, he finds himself in the horrifying position of cutting down the first offered from the chandelier from which she hung herself. You see him with tears in his eyes as her body is carried out, while at the same time we are shown the contrast in Serena, who's just pissed off that the girl had the nerve to inconvenience her. So in that five seconds, we learn that Nick has empathy. Serena does not. And then after her death, which happened before June's arrival, so before season one, Nick seems to wake up to the atrocities of Gilead and arranges to have Commander Guthrie's arrested and killed and begins reporting on commanders to Price to quote unquote clean up Gilead. In season one, which kicks off when June comes, though, the unexpected happened and their attraction is instant. And though he half-heartedly tries to resist it, they're fully in love in no time, both risking their lives to see each other constantly. When he asks to take June and Fred to Jezebel's, we learn he's previously had a friends with benefits relationship with a Martha named Beth. And despite June having sex with Fred upstairs at that very moment, Nick respectfully calls off the benefit portion of that relationship when she offers him one of said benefits. He still brings Beth the herbs from Serena's garden, though, that he knows she loves because he's her friend, first and foremost. And he also brings black market items like birth control for other women at Jezebel's. This seems like it must be Mayday related, as it's certainly not legal behavior in Gilead. He'd easily be put on the wall for being caught with birth control. And he's transporting it for women he doesn't know. So at least in season one, we have significant evidence of Nick doing good for other women and not just June. It's important to me in both fiction and real life that people have empathy and care about other people, not just their significant others. And it's one of the reasons I always like Nick. But I digress. My thoughts on his motivation in early Gilead were initially only to stay alive and then post-Offered One's death and pre-June, I think he started adding in finding ways to seek revenge on the worst of the commanders as well as trying to lighten the misery of the women around him. What were you guys' notes on his season one motivations? I like that we see, same as what I said earlier about like the fact that we see him, how he joined the Sons of Jacob. We also see him joining as a knight. And again, it's not because he wants to report on civilians or because he wants to um, make sure that everybody follows uh, Gilead's law. It's clearly because he wants to take some revenge on the commanders that uh, abuse their power. 
and rate these women and I think mainly also on Fred I think he was really disappointed in the way he treated the first handmaid and we see that because we kind of like see everything June went through the first few, few episodes with going to Jezebel's not just the the ceremony night it's just that she's systematically raped as well and obviously he's he must have seen that with the first Alfred and I like that we shown that again and we know exactly what his motivations to become an eye were and yeah as you said like I think he also wanted to be friendly to June first not just because he was attracted to her which I think he, he was but because he wanted to like be friendly and you know take away some of the misery from being a handmaid yeah and it's like she I mean she has literally no one to talk to so it's somebody safe that can like make her feel a little more normal in her daily life but yeah I I think like it's really interesting what you're saying like just what Kay was saying about like with Beth and stuff like where he's kind of trying to maintain this emotional detachment like in things in general but he's like knowing that he needs to be kind to people at the same time and like he wants to be kind so it's really, I don't, that seems very difficult to pull off, like remaining emotionally detached, but also being empathetic and kind. So obviously it doesn't last. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, it's impressive. And it's like, it just seems inevitable that that's not going to work long term, you know? Before June, I don't think he ever had that sort of connection with anybody else, probably not even with Beth. No, I agree. Definitely not even with Beth. Definitely. And you can see that the even like the, the meetings are always very, like, probably very, like, Contend to like you know when he goes to Jezebel's with Fred he probably doesn't go there any other time right so he's he's got it's not like you know he's spending all his time with with bed or with anybody else so no yeah definitely that suppose it's easier to to keep those emotions under control yeah it's just interesting that he can still be friendly and also trying to be closed off at the same time it's, it's just I don't know that fascinates me I think he's just had to like I think he's a very person like he's very quiet yeah. and he's very attentive but he doesn't show a lot and I think that helps with you know keeping that sort of wall yeah mm-hmm. well and I think he he keeps up the mask when he needs to I mean when he's out and doing his job and in front of all the other people he keeps up his mask he does what he's supposed to do he follows the rules all that behind closed doors with June I think he's able to let that kindness come out a little bit more but it does create this conflict. It's a paradox, really, because he went into the new handmaid coming in with the goal of, I don't want her life to be as miserable as offered one. I want her to survive. I don't want her to be to feel like her life is so bleak here that she faces the same option of suicide. So he tries to become, he's kind to her, he becomes her friend, but not does not expect to also be attracted to her and then eventually falls in love with her. And when they fall in love, it, it create it increases the stakes for both of them. And it becomes counter to his goal of protecting her because if they got caught, they'd be dead. So um it's it's an interesting thing and it's why the their relationship was always so compelling to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That just made me think though when Fred is like He's talking about the first off-red and he's saying that he wants like June's life to be bearable. That scene, like how comical it is that like he's saying that, but like Nick's the one who's really actually trying to do that. Mm -hmm. And and the commander says this and yet he still takes her out to just pills. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, but he's doing exactly the same. It's it's his fault. The previous hand may kill herself. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Probably Serena too, if I had to guess. Yeah, and Serena. And then he's like, I want your life to be bearable, like, mm, really, dude? But yeah, I think Nick in season one is 
uh, a conundrum, really, because he does the, these things that uh, are generally kind. For example, befriending June originally, and uh, he also works directly against Gilead by bringing the women uh, black market stuff like like the birth control and other things. But at the same time, he's an I, and he is uh, he could be at least in the viewer's mind, he could be someone who doesn't love some parts of Gilead, and he sees the evil in many of the commanders, like Fred and, and Serena, of course, but uh, she's not a commander, but anyway, yeah. Uh, but he doesn't really necessarily want to get rid of Gilead, but just wants a more moral Gilead. So that's something that you could also be thinking after you see his actions in season one, until it all changes and he starts working against Gilead more actively because he has something to lose and he's in love with June and they're having a baby. I do agree, but I don't think he, even after June, I don't think he proactively fights against Gilead ever. Like, I don't, even though he works for Mayday, I, I think the way I have always seen it is more like to help people inside. I don't think his, his goal has ever been to, like, bring Gilead down. Yeah. Not only because I don't think he, he believes he can do it. He doesn't believe in, like, politicians. He doesn't believe in, like, anybody else helping from the outside. So I don't think he believes that that's something that can be achieved. Um, so I think his his only way of like fighting back is just to bring some revenge or at least bring some of the people in power down. And I think it's it's like what we were saying before, right? Like about him not thinking that he doesn't care about the ideals of Gilead or what they're doing. It's just the individual that he's like trying to help, right? Like yeah. it's just this one thing happened to this one person and I'm going to try to help them. Yeah. Or like I can give these women birth control, whatever. Like it's just like a very... It's the idea of like an individual versus a whole uh, society kind mm -hmm. of viewpoint, I guess. Yeah. Also, um, I think in season one, even though like we 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 talk about all those things he did for women, like the pregnancy controls and the kind actions and whatever, but I don't think he was very risky, like not as risky as in season two, for example, or in season four. Like, he, his behavior was well uh, thought through. He definitely wanted to keep a low profile, despite uh, having, like, hand touches in front of uh, <laughs> a room full of commanders and stuff, like, or sneaking into Jude's room at night or whatever. But um, except for those tiny little things, it's it's never been anything, like, as risky as, for example, trying to get June out at the end of the season one because after he gets to know that he's going to be become a father, that June is pregnant, his um, motivation completely changes. I think he's more willing to take even higher risks <laughs> for, like, yeah, June in this example. He gets a second chance for family with yeah. the pregnancy. Like, the family he lost, He he. this is a chance to, like not be with them obviously because he just wanted to get them out and not himself but um to make sure that they are safe to help them to do what he couldn't do for his brother and probably not for his dad yeah so this gives him purpose like a lot of purpose that's it like i don't think he ever dreamt of even having the possibility of love or a meaningful family which obviously we know he's never gonna get anyway because you know yeah he's just trying to help them escape and be safe yeah another thing that i like is we know that he knows about emily when he's an eye but he's not the one reporting her because we know it's the aunt that reports her and the other martha 
So even though he knows who she is and, yeah. you know, that she's been looked into, he he's not the one reporting her. And that just shows that he's not he's not ever after, like, anybody in particular. He's just, it's just the commanders. Right. That's a very good point. He's using his position, like, only for the things that he chooses to use it for, not for, like, the, the ways that a lot of people are. Like, when you think about what an eye is or you know what an eye is, it's like they're the ones who are bringing these women in and hurting them yeah and he yeah. knows about it but he's not actually participating in any of that part of it he's just been, he's an eye probably to gather information and also to hurt fred eventually so yeah or to report on fred i guess season two opens with nick's very obvious tunnel vision new motivation of getting june and their baby out of gilead into safety and he wastes no time and succeeds at sneaking her out of the doctor's appointment with the help of a nurse a butcher and assuredly many other kind men and women from mayday he acknowledges it was Mayday when he sees her at the Boston Globe. And for me, this is my season two evidence that he's been working behind the scenes with Mayday to help others. Because why on earth would Mayday move heaven and earth to help one random, barely pregnant handmaid escape unless they owed Nick a lot of favors already? That's got to be the most difficult person to move out of Gilead to, like a pregnant handmaid. Like, yeah. yeah, so risky. That or a child. Like, yeah. The top two things that's like they're not going to try it unless, like you said, unless. Well, that's the reason why he says they need to wait in the person blow for quite some time because she's a pregnant handmaid and everybody's literally looking for her. Right. It's not just a random woman. She unfortunately gets recaptured, and when she loses her grip on her sanity and disappears into herself, he throws all the into the wind, no longer even prioritizing staying alive as he yells her real name after her in the driveway and eventually confronts Serena about taking her to a mental health doctor. It's basically blasphemy in Gilead and his love for June, a personal affront to loveless Serena. June has fully taken over the front spot of his motivation, in my opinion, bumping even his own self-preservation down several notches. And so Serena fucks everyone over further by marrying him to a child who he tries to be kind to, but he barely has the capacity to keep himself and June alive at this point, and Eden slips away, ultimately to her death, which he blames himself for. By the end of season two, though, he once again risks his life to allow June and their baby to escape, holding Fred at gunpoint overnight, which he had to know 100% would mean his death. In a place like Gilead, realistically, you get one shot like that to use because your death is assured afterwards. You have to lay out your whole hand to use it, and he uses it that night. But being a television show, Fred instead gets him promoted to commander, so he'll be sent to the front rather than turning him in and risking Nick outing all the household crimes, which we learned from an interview with Joseph Fiennes, I think, that he made Nick a commander as punishment for holding him at gunpoint. But again, in summary, throughout season two, I've got June's life and that of their baby being the only thing he truly cares about. So he doesn't hesitate to do that to ensure her better chances of getting away. Mm-hmm. What did you guys have? With every season, I had a keyword, and um, this season is risk. <laughs> risk. I have like at least six instances throughout the season where he just risked his life by his actions, like easily. Like you, you mentioned two, like the two ones are the first escape at Boston Globe that he's involved in trying to get her out. And then he's also visiting her um, frequently, right. <laughs> like it's just crazy vanishes <laughs> from, from the Waterford house for uh, like a day or two. Yeah. And quotes, looking for June. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fred, no worries. I'll find her by myself. <laughs> and he's stealing food from the house, too. And coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Rita must have been very aware of what was happening at this point, right? Oh, yeah. Totally. But he must have not cared. I love thinking that. Like, she definitely knew just because of the coffee. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. She's like, he's taking my coffee again. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyways, um, the next risk is again what you said that um, he, when she slips away after she's guilted uh, by Aunt Lydia and she loses her mind and he's trying to get her mental health. Um, that was a huge risk. Um, the other instance, when he's with Eden, he's taking the letters in um, that she tried to burn, keeps them <laughs> in his in his room. And then smuggles them to Canada. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that one's a big one for me too because it's another it's another instance of him helping other people. It's mm -hmm. not just June. They would yeah. be safest if he burnt those letters or let her burn them. Like yeah. they are gonna mm -hmm. get one of them. They could get one of them killed if he only yeah. care for June. That's what any sane person would have done. Just burn yeah. them. Yeah, you burn them. You get rid of them. But it's just the right thing to do too. Like his moral compass is yeah, exactly is really high. Yeah. He has a very strong moral compass, and I feel like some people don't think that, and, and it surprises me just because over and over and over again, he makes mm -hmm. hard, he risks himself to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's literally just to get these people's families, like, word from them, you know? Mm -hmm. You could say that that's actually counter to him trying to protect June. It is. If he, like, yeah. takes those letters to Canada and he gets caught, like, he's fucked. So then how is he going to help June? You know, so it's like right. he's he knows that that's more important to June or it was before mm -hmm. she started kind of fading away. Yeah. That that was more important to her than her life. So it's becomes more important to him. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I yeah. do think it was still for June, like you're saying. It's a thing that she would have done and that makes her happy. He takes yeah. no credit right. for it as well. Yeah, but even still, it's like a risk that he's taking, knowing that his own goals, what he would prefer to do is to keep her safe. Right. Mm -hmm. But what she would prefer, so it's still completely selfless because it's like he's doing it, you know, in quotes for her, but it's not really for her because it could hurt her. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's putting her goals above. And by keeping the letters in, like, you know, he's risking being caught and that's why he gets so upset. Yeah. That uh, Eden finds them because it, it was stupid to keep them and somebody has found them. And as we know, she she was reading the Bible, so she was technically able to read. Could have read, mm -hmm. right? Uh huh. I mean, yeah, he didn't know if she was able. We no. we only learned that after Later. she died that she actually was able to read. I probably could have assumed it because she would have been old enough to have learned. To yeah, read. yeah to, to learn to read. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this this season is just him like flailing around a lot. <laughs> like he just yeah. really can't hide like what he's feeling most of the time. And it's like making everything really much more difficult. And there's so many like direct hits against him in this season, like with Serena actively like trying to hurt him kind of or hurt June through him. Yeah. Well, and with Eden, because he was completely thrown off his game when the Eden wildcard was thrown into his uh, his apartment <laughs> because he literally like everything he'd been doing up to that point just was totally thrown off he can't he, he could not just keep his head down play the game do as he's told because now doing as he's told is being a husband to this 15 year old child which is so counter to his you know moral compass like we talk about how he follows his moral mm -hmm. compass even in this dark world and had it not been for June and had it she not needed him to survive that situation, I honestly think that would have been the line that yeah. he wouldn't cross. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that he'd waited after the the wedding night, I feel like that was the one thing, like, let her turn me in. Like, if, if that's what's going to happen, I, I can't. Yeah. It, it, he couldn't stomach it un unless it was for June. So it's like that was just he finally found like the line that he couldn't cross in Gilead. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Well, he he only does it 
because June orders him to do it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because, yeah, he will get in trouble if he doesn't do it and she can't lose him. Yeah. Yeah. The other two instances for my risk list, before the gunpoint thing where he risks his life and nearly gets shot at the summer house of the Mackenzies when he's walking out to clear the situation with the guardians to check on them. Like, I mean, he was lucky that he can catch the bullet. So mm-hmm. another life-threatening situation. Yeah. He was lucky to survive season two. Agreed. Yeah. Um, another example of what I was saying earlier about um, how he, again, if he was just a normal eye, he would have probably done something when he sees um, Eden and Isaac kissing. Like the fact that he doesn't turn them in, but also kind of like consoles her and like is like really sweet and like, oh, don't worry, you're not going to get in trouble. Like that's such a sweet moment and it shows his real personality. I mean, in a way, I feel like it would be, he would probably be a little bit relieved. Like, oh, she's like with this guy, like, that's nice for her. She has somebody that cares about her and I don't have to like. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but getting rid of her would be, would have been easier. Like if he turns them in and then, you know, she gets killed, obviously he wouldn't want that. But that's it. Like she's out of his apartment. He doesn't have to pretend anymore. He doesn't have to sleep with her anymore. Right. So that would have been easier for him. True. But I think like, because he probably does feel a lot of guilt for not like being not being able to like relate to a 15 year old in his house so he's probably like oh cool she has a friend you know like i don't know oh yeah totally he he really i think he ideally he would have kind of like wanted for them to like you know have a relationship in like hiding and secret and then for him to like continue to be Mm -hmm. with his life yeah but they didn't quite another way but but like if Eden had just been like less like weird about it and he and make it like it's fine just like go make out with your boyfriend then like everybody could just had their people and just pretended to be married and it would have been fine I also think like if Nick could have been honest with her about being in love with the uh, with June um I think they might have been able to like kind of like agree upon a, a deal or something but obviously he didn't really trust her yeah yeah I don't know if anything would have changed though because I still think that Eden and Isaac would have run off together and and I was just thinking like the moment when he he's confronted by Fred about where Isaac is and he tells Fred what he knows. There's a moment where he pauses and he looks back at June because she's in the room with him. And it just I love that moment because I think that's also a sign of his motivation throughout the entire season is he weighs every single decision he makes against how it's going to impact June and his family. So it's like he had an he had a choice in that moment to protect Eden to make a cover story maybe or or something like that or to tell Fred what he knows about what's going on and I think like he's always like trying to measure the consequences against every every action that he takes at least at that point in time in the story so I feel like he's he's in that moment he's weighing all of those consequences and he's weighing all of those potential possibilities and he comes back to I need to protect myself in this situation because if if, if something comes back and and they're found out and I get in trouble for this then I'm not here to protect June and the baby so he prioritized that his family over Eden and he told but I don't think he realized in that moment that the consequences to Eden would be as severe as they were yeah Yeah. I mean he probably thought there would be some consequences but I don't think he realized she would be executed for it otherwise I kind of don't think he would have just given her up so easily I think he really thought that Fred was probably going to be able to like maybe control and do some damage control fast yep I think so um and I think he probably would have because I think he mentions when he's talking to the dad that that really makes them look bad and makes Fred look bad so I think he probably would have kept down the wraps 
um just to protect his status and you know yeah but he's the dad that actually reports that it's not even fred yeah yeah i think nick probably would feel that fred would have his back a little bit like even though that's like kind of (laughs) weird they've kind of you know had some secrets in the house Mm. before and so i think he would think that you know let's handle this between us and figure out which yeah but i think fred would have done by the way I would also think that he would think that as her husband, he would have a little bit more say mm. as, as to how she would be handled with when she yeah. was found, but apparently not. I mean, that that always kind of confused me too, because they didn't, I, I never saw anything in the story where he had a choice as, as her husband, like what- Because he's not important enough. He's, if, he would, if he had been a commander, probably he would have, but- He's still low level, right? But also, I guess it was too late by the time he found out what was going on because the dad had already reported them, right? Well, to be fair, I think they could have saved themselves if they apologized or repented, right? Because that was the whole point of like Nick trying to like, right? That's true. Get her into that, be like, say sorry, and then you'd, you'd be fine to just walk home with me. So I think mm-hmm. if they had kind of like repented, then she could have probably gone back to Nick. Yep. Yeah. All right, season three, June comes back instead of escaping, and Nick is furious. All he cares about, all he cared about for the first two seasons is June and Holly out of Gilead and into safety. He didn't care about the fact that safety would mean his girls would be living as a family with another man because one of his defining characteristics is being selfless. So when Serena burns their house down right after that fight, they part on imperfect terms, though their nearly wordless exchange outside the burning remains imply no hard feelings. And the script also had that fight scene between them when she comes back from not escaping, written longer so that June admits she knows she fucked up and he holds her and they've made up. But back to what we actually see on screen, once June sees he's been promoted to commander in a meeting at Lawrence's house, Nick makes sure to come see her that night to make sure they're okay and to say goodbye because he's being sent to the front. But June's cold to him at first and sends him out without the love or affection that he came for. And so he waits outside her room, knowing her well enough to know she flies off the handle and then cools down. And she does. She reaches her hand around the doorframe to him. The next scenes we see of them, they seem to be a full-blown couple again. And then he disappears for almost all of season three. After one final look of him looking miserable as he's being saluted by his troops on a train on their way to Chicago. So his motivation now that he knows June won't leave Gilead is simply to love her, I guess. He's moving away from any Mayday contacts he may have and out into the field of battle where he's going to have to kill people he doesn't want dead. Hopefully he's quick to set up Mayday work out there, but we don't get to see what's going on with him for the rest of season three. However, deleted scenes do tell us that before season three took a dramatic swerve, likely or at least possibly because of the release of the Testaments and the fact they needed to figure out how to meet up with that storyline anyway, Nick was getting close to Commander McKenzie at the front in an implied attempt to get close to Hannah. We really wish they'd stuck with that storyline, and it almost seemed like they were going to in season five when it revealed that Rose is a close friend of the McKenzie's. But then nothing comes of it, and it seems like they're just trying to tell us he legitimately married a friend of the McKenzie's as a coincidence, not because he wanted to get Hannah out. But yeah, that's why for season three. And again, just to restate that that Nick getting close to McKenzie was cut from the season that was eventually aired. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so what did you guys have on Nick's brief existence in season three? What you said about him, like, you know, he he knows that June's not going to leave Gilead or, you know, he can't get her out. That was pretty much the main thing I wrote down was like, he he realizes he can't try anymore to get June out because she won't leave without Hannah and he can't get Hannah out for her. I mean, he does try, I guess, in the deleted scenes, but I think also because he's just like experienced this like list of consequences for his actions in season two, like he's pretty like hopeless seeming, like personally. Like, obviously, like you said, 
Kate, I think he's like, you know, his purpose is just to like love June and like be there for her. But in the end, like he thinks I'm going to just go to Chicago and die. And like, who gives a shit kind of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think he's like pretty freaking depressed (laughs) in season three. Yeah. He's like quite resigned um, that he's never going to be able to help her any further. Like, I think he's probably happy that um, Holly's out and that they managed to at least get that. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, like he can't even be there for her. Like he's, as Kate said, he had that one card to play and he played in at the end of season two. And this is him facing the consequences and he will likely get killed. And yeah, that's all he has to live for, really. Bless him. Yeah, I put in my notes that his fate in season three seemed the most out of his control. Yeah. Because he was promoted to commander against his will, basically as a punishment from Fred for his actions in the se- in season two finale. And he's forced to deploy to war where he will probably die. So his main goal um, that he did have some control over somewhat before he left seemed to be making sure that June knew he still loved her and hopefully... Having any closure? Yeah, yeah, because there was so much friction at the beginning of the season and because, you know, he was angry. So I think he just wanted to hopefully resolve that with her before he left. Just, you know, maybe he's lost her, but maybe she still loves him, whatever. I think I think he still just wanted her to know he still loved her and hopefully like hang on to a little bit before he left. But that's kind of it for him in season three. There wasn't a whole lot. Yeah. I think that like with this with the same thing with the Swiss in episode six of season three, where, where he's like really distrustful and really saying like they can't help us, they don't care about us. Like I think that probably a lot of what happened in season two like added to that feeling of like nobody is gonna help us, nobody is gonna like you know everybody has their own agenda and they're gonna like manipulate us to whatever they want. So I think like that distrustfulness and kind of like the government's gonna screw us over like is extra strong for him at that moment because of what happened in season two yes there's another view into like his own man- mindset that scene when he talks about the uh, governments don't not caring about them i think is again it's kind of like another sample of how he doesn't have that sort of like political agenda like he doesn't think they're going to ever get anybody to help them or help yeah. anybody in gilead really it's all about politics and about you know, these politicians have in their own agendas, yeah. Yeah, and he doesn't trust any government. Even anybody from outside. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit about individual people. It's yeah, just like, that's it. who can make the most money us. have power, yeah. And I wonder if that's something he's learned, maybe because of him being part of the Sons of Jacobs, so and maybe that, Definitely. that might have gone wrong for him. But also, I don't know if that first, when season three aired, and obviously they made him a bit more ambiguous up, we maybe thought he was. I kind of thought maybe it was because he had tried to do this before. He might have tried to like work with somebody on the outside and he mm. fell through. Because I was kind of like from the book, we kind of think he is this like infiltrated agent. So I thought maybe that they were going somewhere with that, but obviously that's never happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very loaded the way he says it. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of history packed into this like belief that he has, you know? Yeah. You get in bed with the government and yeah doesn't work out right but he goes anyway but and even though he goes you can see on his face before the the swiss call him in his apprehension i mean he's there and he he wants to do whatever he can to help his daughter but at the same time i think he knows going into it that he may not be able to help the way that june wants him to but he can't tell her why and it could have you know something to do with his background that we don't know about can i just say one more thing about 
Nick and Priggy did. Yeah. We get these sort of like um, background from Nick and we actually see him joining the Sons of Jacob. And we know he didn't do it for the ideological reasons. But somehow in season three, he's this like, you know, mastermind behind the whole thing. And we, we've sold him to be like such a bigger part of it than we've seen him being. And those flashbacks where actually, you know, they've, they've showed us how he joined them. And he clearly was groomed and only took it because it was a job and he needed a paycheck. So, yeah. I don't know. find it weird that even though they've actually introduced that in the show and it's canon that they would completely go in a different direction and try to sell to us that this has ever been anything else yeah yeah like in season one and season two like the first three episodes when um june is still not sure if he's an eye or not if it's like super mysterious type of guy i can't understand that that was ambiguous but after that until the beginning of season three he's done nothing but good things so yeah. why? Yeah, he's already been established to work for May Day. He's yes. he's June's ally throughout the whole time. So why? It's like I remember thinking that in season three, like what is happening? But then when you get to obviously because season four like brought us together and like is amazing. To me, it's very easy for me to go like, yeah, Serena's being a bitch. Like she was just mm-hmm. like bullshitting mm-hmm. June, like trying yeah. to manipulate him. Yeah. Like it's fine. Yeah. And you can kind of tell like, obviously, because June trusts him immediately in season four, pretty much, mm. that she's had time to think about it and been like, obviously, this is the problem here. But why didn't the Swiss work with him? It's not that clean because the Swiss wouldn't work with him. Mm. And it will never not drive me absolutely insane that the Swiss are happy to work with Fred and Serena Waterford, who are well-known founders of Gilead and will happily tell you that they overthrew America and founded Gilead and came up with the salvaging system, all this stuff, right? Like true war criminals is bad as can be as far as starting Gilead, right? And they're like, yeah, we definitely want to work with them, but we're not going to work with this guy, Nick Blaine. You don't know who he is, June. Like what? Like it's so crazy because he's a driver when the show starts off, right? Even if he had done some terrible things as Gilead started, you're telling me it was worse than what Fred and Serena did that we know for a fact? I mean, I'm sorry, but like my brain can't accept that. So it's in that that puzzle pile of does not fit. Um, But it drives me crazy every time I think of it because it doesn't make any sense they would work with Fred and Serena and not Nick. It's just like we know Nick, right? We know him through June. We know him from his interactions with other women. And he's a good hearted person, right? Obviously made a terrible decision joining Sons of Jacob, not getting out, not, you know, lots of mistakes were made, but he's over and over defined himself as like a very good, we've talked about it, he has a good moral compass. So telling me that he did like worse things than the founding of Gilead is just doesn't uh, jive for me and never has. And I don't know, I'd like it explained but I figure it probably won't ever be. And so I just dismiss it because it doesn't make any sense that the Swiss would work with the founders of Gilead, but not the driver. Yeah, but like that still could be bullshit, right? Unless yeah. they did, but then we're going into like headcanon. Unless like... they did or unless Serena and Fred got to them first knowing what June would, would be up to. Like that's uh-huh. the thing Like is I feel like Serena could have been like, oh, June just wanted to talk to them. So now I'm going to go in and talk to them and reverse everything whatever i'm just saying like i can i can rationalize it in my brain to be like it's fine up until season five mm, i don't think he was valuable and valuable enough for the swiss because he was going to the front he was going to get no 
real information. He's been a commander for like three days. And mm -hmm. even when he's been an eye, he's been more against it. And I really feel like they have such an opportunity with Nick's character because in addition to the love story, and, and I know that's the primary um, story that he's involved in in the show, and he's mainly there in relation to June and he's in love with June, but he's also a really good example of, of a male feminist ally. Oh, I know. And I feel yeah. like they have such a great opportunity with his character to show that to their male audience because this show is the way that it keeps going and the way it's progressing so often, it's just like women good, men bad, and, yeah. and the men in Gilead are bad, and, and women have to, it's an uprising of women against the men. And I really don't, I think that's missing the point. Yeah, completely. Of what Margaret Atwood was getting at in her original book. And, and she really wanted to show how an oppressive system oppresses everybody, regardless of gender. And there are people within that system that want to help and Nick is one of those people. And in the first two seasons, I thought they did a wonderful job showing him as being that male feminist ally. And for some reason, they just really wanted to shift the focus in season three to the women. And the women need to be the ones who are responsible for their victory at the end. And, the up and you know, it, it almost seemed like they felt that if there was any help from men other than Lawrence, I guess, that um, it would somehow diminish the strength of the women. And I don't think that was correct. I think I think that, you know, if they had allowed Nick to help in some way, it would have strengthened the story overall, and just show that there can be men who are supportive to women. And they are that is also a sign of feminism. It isn't just like women for women and beating the men. Yeah, yeah. And it's also necessary Like you need that yes. right, in order to defeat Gilead. You need half of the population to be your ally you can't you can't be men against women that's not how it works because there's a lot of men so they they do have to be part of the fight as well mm -hmm. which is interesting though because they have shown other mayday characters to be males mm -hmm. we've got the um driver what's his name omar yeah in season five we've got Jaden and um the nice the other guy guardian god yeah, yeah that at the Mayday camp, right. So I don't know why they're so obsessed with like Nick not being that person when he literally is in the book. Mm -hmm. That's the character that he's meant to represent. And he's such a well-established good guy in the yeah. show too that he's... Yeah. Um, like two whole seasons. It doesn't really make sense for him not to be because we've shown again and again that he makes the moral decision, the correct moral choices like every, mm -hmm. almost every time, obviously, initially, wrong decision. Yeah. But for individuals, like he's always making the right decision to try to help them and be good a good person yeah so yeah like he has all the qualifications true feminism is equality between men and women it isn't about women oppressing men it's not like it's not about turning the tables but for, so that that women overpower men it's it's about women being treated as equals to men and i feel like that was a, one of the good things that came out of the nick and june relationship was i felt like he always treated her as an equal Mm -hmm. And it's it's just a really good juxtaposition to other normalized relationships in in a free world that are sometimes there's a, there is still a power differential between the man and the woman. I always felt like there was equality between Nick and June. And so it's just another way of of showing true feminism. And for some reason, they wanted to kind of diminish it and sideline it in season three. I feel like we all just went to a screening of Barbie before we recorded this. <laughs> 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 I do kind of really like the women's like scenes in season three and like the 
angels flight and working together with the Marthas and everything. Like, I really like all of that, but I, I definitely think that they can, you know, they can do both. They can show both. And in season four, they kind of, it felt like they were maybe like going to head us back that way. Yeah, I did too. Well, we're not to season four yet, but they showed Nick helping June gathering the intel for Hannah on his own. And so that was like another opportunity for him to show how he can help as a man in that world. And they could have done the same thing in season three. I mean, I think like in the the thing that maybe is getting overlooked by the show a little bit is the fact that like, yes, we want women to be shown as strong and powerful and like able to accomplish things. But like, they're literally in a, in a society where the men are the only people that have power. Yeah, you really need men. So it's like, if they don't have allies, what are they going to, like, they can't accomplish what they're trying to do. So it's like the men can still be just support for the women's ideas of what they want to do. But like, so I think that's maybe the- They need to be involved. Is like to have the women like planning and plotting things, but to involve the men in like supporting what they're trying to do. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I just wanted to say that I did actually really enjoy season three. Um, I wasn't part of the fandom then. But I did, I did, one of the things that I like so much about the book and the relationship is that you almost have like this gap in like the communication, like it's so like the hands made the perspective that you kind of like sort of forget that a little bit um, in the first two seasons of the show. So I do kind of enjoyed that June had more time to kind of like develop without Nick. I think that was important for her character development and to be kind of unhinged person she is um, yeah. to a season four. But yeah, I think there was they could have done it with a bit more like of Nick in the show. I, I know they really they they try so hard to be like you know she's an independent woman that doesn't need that love story and doesn't need him or his help, but she does, and we can still see bits of like Nick and who Nick is without having to see it through her eyes. I suppose like we we do that. Right. With, they've done that with Luke and with Serena when they were like in different parts. Yeah, outside of her. Like we're still seeing all the characters developing or having their own storylines. But Nick is just seems to be punished. And again, yeah, like it was a really good season. I loved season three. I think it was important for them to be a part. I just wish we... Yeah, yeah. I just want to clarify. I also love season three now that I'm watching it. When I rewatch it, I really love it. I think it's a great season. Mm -hmm. I actually like that it was all the women working together for Mm -hmm. Angel's Flight. I love that, Mm -hmm. especially since she's going to lose a lot of her friends very soon. I love that they had this like... Like seriously, I cry every time I watch that stoning scene where they all show up and start throwing... Yeah, the muffins. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, same. I think like the the things about it to me are I feel like you you can feel that they had a plan that they had to abort with him because of the yeah. estimates coming out and I think like it would have been better maybe to kind of keep the momentum of of those characters if they had shown him doing things like Raquel was kind of saying like it doesn't have to involve June like just show him in Chicago like I was really interested like what the hell is happening in Chicago I would love to see that right why dump the McKenzie storyline well and that's probably why they didn't show us right because they were like well since we can't do the plot we originally intended with Hannah and the McKenzie's let's just make half the season ambiguous and uncomfortable with Nick instead of actually showing because it would have been over in an episode if they had just shown him in Chicago right because clearly he's not like in charge of all of Chicago and like in a position of incredible power and stuff like he's that's not who they've shown him to be so if they had actually shown what he was up to in Chicago it would have ruined the ambiguousness right so I think like that's why they kept us from seeing that but at the same time I'm like yeah but that's a whole part of Gilead that I would love to know more about but I guess also like they 
I can sort of see an argument both ways because it's like, well, June is isolated to Boston. She's isolated to like her experience. So following that makes you feel more isolated. So I guess I can see that. But yeah, I just feel like when, especially going into season four, like it's been a few months, like Nick's been like probably in a traumatic war zone situation for the last few months. And like, we don't know how that's played out at all. And we never get to hear about it or really know anything about it. So it would have been nice to have like some cutaway scenes to him and to what's happening with the fighting and stuff, even if they couldn't have included the Mackenzie storyline. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. That wouldn't affect Angel's Light being... Yeah. Yeah. And like show like working like Chicago May Day or something or, you know, that would have been really cool. Yeah. Season four, Nick's still wearing his heart on his sleeve, even letting Commander Lawrence know that June is all he cares about, that he can't move on and that he'll use his newfound power to blackmail and bribe anyone. He'll do anything to get her out of the torture box. When Lawrence won't help him on the grounds of love, Nick is quick to threaten to give away his house. And that's when Lawrence helps him get June free of the eyes torture center by using Hannah, something Nick would never have done per an interview with Max, in case you thought he would. Nick then makes out with June on a bridge in front of a bunch of guardians, Aunt Lydia and the red van. His motivation is the same as ever. His life isn't as important as his love for this woman. And so when she disappears after this episode, he starts asking around Chicago, even telling the Marthas that he cares about her. I mean, this guy is the definition of wearing your heart on on your sleeve. And it's a pretty idiotic thing to do in Gilead. Yeah, I think like his his life value is pretty low. And maybe that's also like to do with all, all that, like what we were saying before, Raquel, like about he's just done some like bad, like horrible things because he had to, but he just feels like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. If he can like, show June some like compassion or whatever, then who cares if they kill him? Yeah. Um, we know these Marthas are part of Mayday from season three. And if you look at the way that they address him with absolutely no deference or fear whatsoever, it's further proof that he is probably working with Mayday now in Chicago. They also tell him to go through the normal channels, quote unquote. So he's dealt with them before. And that verbiage sounds a lot more like rebellious work than your typical commander work. It's after this that we see the worst of Nick's job, though, when he's forced to coordinate an aerial attack on Chicago, despite knowing June is likely there. He's visibly sickened by the idea and tries to fight it, but has no ground to stand on in the committee meeting. Obviously, the war on the rebels is not high on Nick's motivation list and almost certainly never has been. Luckily, June gets away, escapes Gilead, and then in episode 409, she actually requests a meeting with Nick, something he definitely never expected, as he even told Lawrence he knew she was never coming back to him. And yet, despite being sure he'd never see her again, he shows her this folder of intel he's collected on Hannah in her absence. This massive folder, by the way. And it moves her to tears, not just for seeing pictures of her little girl, but for the fact that even in her presumably eternal absence, he's still doing everything that he can for her and risking his life for her and expecting nothing in return. Like, that's Nick's thing. And that's why everybody likes him so much. I think, I mean, there's a million reasons, but I think that that's a really big one, his selflessness um, that we see all the way through, you know, at the end of season four. And then he does it again in the final episode of season four. He takes Fred into custody under the guise of his role as Commander of the Eyes and brings him to June to kill, yet again risking his life just to get his girl what she wants. Again, for my big, big note on um, this season, I think like season four is really, really heavily like Commander Nick vibe. Um, We see him perform his duties, um, which he's not enjoying at all. Um, he captures June uh, because he needs to, which is also probably the reason she's still alive. Because if it had been any other commander, um, she would have picked up that gun and she would have mm-hmm. ended up dead. Okay. He bombs Chicago after he nearly fainted on the table. <laughs> 
So yeah. um, this season is like really, really weighing heavily on his conscious, like even more than the things he needed to do as an eye, I think, or even more than um, we were just discussing that we don't know what actually happened in Chicago. Yeah. And he probably did bad things there as well because he needed to, because it was his duty and not like a thing he decided for himself. So I definitely see this season as like where he's getting a lot of um, guilt put on his shoulder for the things he needed to do to comply with the system, um, but still manages to help June um, in some ways. So he's still taking risks for her. Like, um, yeah, meeting on the bridges. And the most important thing, of course, is intel on Hannah. So that that didn't change. And I really like that it didn't change at all. Like, he's like in between, like, he's still kind of the same person, even though um, his appearance changed also a lot. Like, during, like, up until the end of the season, you can really see that it's really heavy on his heart. Yeah. I like, kind of what you were saying about Chicago, like missing that time. I just started thinking when I was rewatching recently that like, okay, the missing events in Chicago probably made him feel even more trapped. Like, especially if he had to do more horrible things there that he didn't want to do. So it's like, well, there's no way I'm getting out of here. Like, I just, I don't know. I had this feeling that it, now he's, he's turned where he's like, uh, I'm going to try to make deals and move chess pieces around and stuff with Lawrence that just came out of almost nowhere in a way you know what I mean like it's we, we didn't see that transition from him in 306 being like no one's gonna help us fuck everything to then being like I'm gonna try to play Lawrence and on the count yeah I think that was kind of almost the other way around because it's it's first Lawrence that offers that sort of like union of like okay if you help me if you you know get me off the um life sentence that he was probably most likely going to get we can help june that's when he drops june's name yeah that's right that's true it wasn't it wasn't me kind of like seeking that i think it was kind of maybe first seek by lawrence and that's when he probably finally got somebody on his side that he could have he could use that's true, but I guess I just felt like he was a lot more receptive to that than he might have been in season three. Yeah, no, he definitely is, yeah. Yeah, so it made me, like, wonder if something had happened to make him feel a lot more, like, resigned to Gilead. Like, he's gonna be there forever. Like, I mean, not that he ever had any vibe of getting out of Gilead anyway, but just, I don't know, like, just a little bit more like, well, I'm trapped and this guy's offering something. Let's just try it, whatever. Yeah. I think as the seasons go by and he gets more and more involved in Gilead, and as we said, like, we don't know what he did in, you know, Chicago and the front, but he probably did some questionable things because um, that's what happens in a war. Right. And it's much diff- much more difficult to kind of, like, no, do it because <laughs> you have no choice. And I think the more he gets involved in it and he gets more trapped because then he feels like he doesn't even deserve to ever leave. Exactly. He kind of like resigns with the fact that, well, I deserve to be in this place. I deserve to leave this hell because I am a bad guy. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking too. I thought there was a real attempt to make Nick look more intimidating in season four. Yeah. First and second episode when he, where he meets June and he just sort of walks in front of the shadows, although he, I think he's done that before with June, but it's sort of a Nick thing, but it's also definitely a commander thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And then there's all the blood on her, which is, of course, from, from Nick's men shooting. And uh, then we have uh, the the episode, was it 
five where he uh, detains the Marthas to question them. Yeah. So that's another instance. And then there's, of course, uh, the scene where they make him bomb Chicago and he does it. So I feel like although he was given a bigger role in season four, they still wanted to uh, play up this sort of ambiguousness or uh, they want people to wonder if Nick is really uh, sort of falling into this Gilead mindset more and more. Yeah. I don't think he really is, but that's what they, I think that's what they want people to wonder about. Mm-hmm. Making it do it, like, again, he might not want to do it, but he is doing it. We've been, been shown that, whereas before, as we said, we never saw him in the front, we never saw him um, in the um, crusades. Mm. So we know of these things he might have done. I mean, realistically, we probably do know that he did some dodgy things, but now we've shown those things. We, we've been shown him bombing Chicago, even though he knows June is there and he's killing him. We've been shown him be part of her torture, even though he's not really, but, you know, he he's the one that's captured her. And again, we know that he's captured her and he's put himself in that position to save her life because, as um, I think it was Julia that said it, had it been any other commanders, she would have picked out a gun and she would have been killed right there. Um, so yeah. even though we understand those motivations and why he does those things, he's definitely been put in that position of like, okay, well, he's very Gilead. He's a commander now and he's that's what he does. But then we've we also shown that he's still working behind the scenes to do other things, like as we, as you just said, Kate, um, working with the NASA network. So he must be all of these other things, but they've just made it making it really clear that He's, um, and he's got his friendlies as well when he gets the intel on Hannah but still they just want us to know that he's Gilead and I think they tried very hard yeah it's funny though because I never like affected me like I feel like they were trying to do that in season four but I never felt like he was the bad guy there no not me neither but then in season five when they're showing like less stuff on his behalf is when they finally got me to be like all right now I'm pissed off he's a commander like, because he's not doing shit, like, anywhere. You were seeing enough of his, like, life, I think, that you understood his motivations. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's also just, like, the the genius of, like, the kind of uh, multi-layered writing of season four is, like, you watch it, and if you're not paying attention, you're like, oh, this asshole. And then you watch it again, and you're like, oh, like, this is, like, twisted and genius. Like, all the stuff that he's doing mm-hmm. is yeah. for a good reason or because like the Chicago thing like okay if he didn't bomb Chicago someone else is going to bomb Chicago like that's yeah. right you know someone's doing it regardless so he'd just be right. dead and then somebody else would do it and then he's exposing it himself yeah and he is about to vomit on his desk yeah yeah like you can tell he doesn't want to so it's like that's like freaking genius to me that they like make it yeah it was great writing they managed mm-hmm. to make him like seem creepy and wary yeah. and stuff but then it's also like you know that it's like killing him at the same time and you know that yeah his his heart is still good like that's just yeah. amazing they did it really well in season four yeah i love that we see that as well and we kind of i, I kind of like that from june's perspective the last thing she actually hits off him is that he obviously was quite an important part of and the creation of gilead through uh the suite saying that he's this horrible person that she doesn't know through serena right and then the second like literally after that he's entering her and, you know, with, like, men pointing guns at her. But she still... Still trusts him. She still trusts mm-hmm. him and kind of, like, sees through him and through Damas. She knows him, right? Yeah. I really like that. Well, plus he tells her, I'm trying to keep you alive. And she knows him. And that's why she mm-hmm. doesn't take the gun. It's amazing, though, that, like, she knows him that deeply that it overrides everything else. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
I find it kind of surprised. I mean, I guess I've kind of already said this, but I still find it kind of surprising how much um, he like kind of not. Tr- well, yeah, kind of trust Lawrence. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he just kind of goes all in on Lawrence in season four. And I don't I've never quite understood why he's willing to do that at this point. I mean, I guess he knows he, that Lawrence helped June and helped with Angel's flight and everything. But aside from that, he doesn't really know much about him or he says he doesn't in season three. I feel like, what did we see of him and Lawrence in season four? They have the scenes together in the first episode and the sixth, no, the third episode. Yeah, there's like Chicago and... They were friendly in Chicago. They were friendly in that episode. They're like working together in quotes, even though... Yeah, at least Nick thought that. And then he looked betrayed when um, Lawrence was suddenly at the table and things had shifted and he he wasn't prepared for the changes and then the bombing and like which to me it's like okay then then why would he continue to be aligned with Lawrence after that happened like, good question I don't know it's just that's that's one thing that doesn't track exactly to me in into season five is his how how much he's believing in what Lawrence is doing other than the fact that Lawrence helps out with June and the exchange with Fred towards the end I mean he was helping out in that capacity, but it should have tipped uh, Nick off to the fact or possibility anyway, that he may not be able to totally trust Lawrence. Exactly. I would think he would, he would approach Lawrence and every, and Lawrence's goals with a little bit more skepticism. I mean, I can sort of see him being like, like once June is out of Gilead, he is probably more like, uh like like he doesn't have responsibility in Gilead anymore as much like obviously with Rose and the baby and all that that we'll get to later but Mm. just once he knows June is out and Nicole slash Holly is out he can do more things without worrying about the consequences of it because it's just himself that he's risking I guess and he's like gotten used to risk at this point right yeah so I could sort of see him going with it just to kind of be like well maybe you know I'm stuck here maybe I can try to work with this guy who is actually really powerful and do something good or learn how to manipulate the system of Gilead. Yeah, I think, as I said earlier, I think that's the kind of like the first time he maybe gets, uh, apart from Price, who I think he trusted quite a bit, weirdly. I think his was the first connection he actually gets to like a powerful guy being on his side. And obviously he's very lonely. Um, As we said, he's probably gone through very traumatic experience at the front and you know, through a war, like I think Max said it was about a year. So I think he kind of loses that sort of like, as we said, like that motivation of like saving June because he's saved. We probably get more of these in season five that we're doing four of him kind of being resigned of uh, the fact that June is back with Luke and they have their life. And as we said, I think especially in this season, he doesn't feel he deserves to ever get out of Gilead. So he doesn't really have that sort of like, okay, well, you know, he doesn't have that goal anymore, whereas before he had that fight to get June and the baby out. Um, now he's lost that. And then he also has this sort of, like, uh, guilt over what he's had to do. So I feel like he really kind of trusted Lawrence purely because he really didn't have anybody else. And mm. he did help him. I think he kind of, like, maybe Nick saw it as, like, the way he was, like, teaching him a lesson with the whole Chicago thing and the bombing. But, like, you do have to be a bit more careful with, you know, the way you portray yourself to the other commanders. And he did, you know, Nick did betray Lawrence in the first voting, going against his whatever he wanted to do. So I don't Mm. think 
Lawrence really went behind his back a lot. I don't think Lawrence, obviously, that changed the season five, but I don't think through season four he was that untrustworthy. <laughs> I quite remember any other instances when he does something really naughty. I know he used Hannah, but that was the only way of getting uh, Jin to, to actually talk. So right. even though it was a horrible thing to do, it was the right thing to do. Otherwise, she probably would have been killed because she wouldn't have talked. Right. In a way, what you're saying, Raquel, about um, Lawrence using Hannah to get June to talk, I think, like, on some level, obviously Nick couldn't have perceived of that level of, like, trauma being inflicted on her. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he knows that Lawrence can do things that he can't do. Mm -hmm. Like, mentally and powerfully. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Lawrence can do some shit because he is, like, almost... I don't even know what the word for it is. I guess it's the pragmatic thing Mm -hmm. that they say about Lawrence. Like, he just will do what has to be done. Yeah. And so Nick had to know on some deep, deep level that Lawrence could cook up something really diabolical. Yeah. (laughs) And But that Nick couldn't have perceived of, but that needed to happen. Yeah, sure. So maybe that's, like, somebody that is good to have in your pocket because it's, like, Nick isn't going to be that ruthless. Like, he's not going to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's like what Gilead requires of you. And that's kind of what Lawrence taught him, right? In Chicago, like that sometimes you have to be like that. But the thing is, in that Chicago episode, I feel like where Lawrence, it could be seen as a betrayal to Nick is that they talked to each other before the right. council meeting. Mm-hmm. And there was an opportunity for Lawrence to give him a heads up about what was mm-hmm. about to happen. Yeah. And he didn't do that. Instead, Nick doesn't find out until in that moment when he's put on the spot. And he could have given him a little bit of warning and he didn't. So he's not so blindsided. Uh, yeah, right. I, agree with, I agree with you guys on that. But I don't think, again, I think Lawrence really maybe felt betrayed by Nick not siding with him and the, that voting, I think, with like a cease of... A ceasefire. Fire in the front, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he really wanted to like maybe teach him a lesson and that's why he had to be so cruel about it or ruthless about it. Like retaliating? Yeah. Which, again, is not right, but do you know what these men are like? <laughs> I can also sort of see um, Lawrence... Like, I can sort of see an argument for Lawrence being... like I don't even want to like it's hard to even say but like right about that because he's trying to like make Nick respond to the pressure of a situation rather than knowing ahead of time and being able to prepare for it you know what I'm saying because that's not going to happen all the time yeah yeah that wouldn't be that wouldn't be what happened if it was anybody but Lawrence like Lawrence could maybe give Nick a heads up but if it was somebody else Nick's going to find out like shitty stuff as a commander that he has to do. I mean, I'm sure he's had to do that before. I'm but sure that's happened. Yeah. Now he's on the council, which is a new thing for him too. So he's like trying to teach him how the council works, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I feel like if if a person that I thought was my friend that I was like yeah. talking to behind the scenes, like set up this whole scenario where like I have to bomb the place where he just found out like his mm-hmm. soulmate was located. The woman he loves is. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's even worse because at the beginning of the episode you have, um, Lauren's kind of talking to Nick about oh do you know where she is and with the hold up would your heart glow if she was near you or something like that whatever the code is right um so I had like that really cute conversation where you can see that they they know each other and they've got you know they're very friendly with each other uh to be able to like comment on those things and then you have like June is in Chicago and knows that for a fact and, and Lauren's like oh great now you're in a bummer <laughs> what makes it so much worse it's like petty bullshit of Lawrence yeah. in a way because she's like haha you thought she wasn't there it's extra cruel yeah now she is you're gonna have to bomb her because of your arrogance yeah. thinking you knew where she was like that's like really twisted yeah <laughs> I would be done with that person that's all I'm saying 
<laughs> yeah, but I no, guess Gilead really is like a place where you can't. I mean, you take what no. you can get with your allies, kind of. <laughs> so maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like he doesn't really have any other choices, does he? To make so. No, I. I mean, um, it was something I thought about earlier when we were talking about how Nick seemed to be becoming more Gilead, or maybe we were just seeing more of what he was doing in the name of Gilead. But the thing is, anybody still alive in Gilead has probably had to do things they didn't want to do or wouldn't have done otherwise. I mean, June is one of those as well. Mm -hmm. You know, the handmaids had to uh, follow through with executions. And I mean, there's just everybody's complacent in a way and they're everybody's going along with what they have to to survive. And I think the real question when it comes to Nick is how is he using his survival in Gilead? Is he using it to benefit an overall plan, which we don't really no, it, it's it seemed like that was less of his goal in season five, which again, we're not there yet. But I liked the fact that they included the scene with the Marthas because that does give us an indication that there's still behind the scenes business that is not pro Gilead that he is he seems to be engaged with. And the the reference to the friendlies getting the intel on Hannah, there are, he does have connections in Gilead. And I still think there's an opportunity in season six to reveal all of this. And I just have my fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, same. Even though they seem to veer away from it in season five. It's like the way Max put it when he said he tried on the Gilead shoes and found out later on that they don't fit. In his mind, he's thinking June's out, she's safe, she's with, back with her husband, I'm still here, I'm stuck, I might as well see it, you know, if I can settle into this life of a married commander and see what happens. But it's definitely possible that they could still flip it back around and he's still working with those connections behind the scenes yeah i think it would also make sense that he hasn't really engaged in a lot of these things and that he didn't want to uh, take Twitter's deal straight away because now that he's married again he's got a family expecting a baby he doesn't want to put his life in danger purely because if he probably does something like committing treason he's likely to get his family punished as well. Yes, and he's, exactly. he's got that to like worry about now. He's got, I think he says, um, he's got, um, what does it say to June? I have responsibilities. Responsibilities, that's the word. Yeah. So it would make sense that he's kind of maybe taking a break or he hasn't been as committed against Gilead. Um, in mm -hmm. season five because of that so they can still circle back to you know the fact that he has been doing it he's been consistently been shown to be working with mayday or the matthana book at some point throughout all of the seasons so mm -hmm. it would still make sense yeah and i think you can use his uh his family life with rose as re reason also for why he partly reason for why he turns twello down for yeah. his offer do we want to do any more for anybody who has any comments on that? Well, we didn't really talk about the threat thing. I'm just not sure what Nick's role in season four is. Like um, when he's in that scene in season four, episode 10, when he's like commanding the eyes to take control of uh, Fred, he seems to be like the commander of the eyes, but that's never been sort of made official or been mentioned before. So right. I was a little bit confused by that. So I'm not sh too sure... Because that would be a very big role. Yeah, my guess there is that he's a commander and an I, which is probably a rare thing. That's kind of my yeah. but what I always land on is like, he's been an I this whole time, and now he's also a commander. So that by itself gives him like a position of authority over some of the I's because he's like an I and a commander. You know what I mean? Right. And he's just such a young commander that's just literally 
got promoted to be a commander. He just literally joined the council. I really, really don't think he's a commander of the eyes. No, I don't think so either. I think he probably does have a lot of like men and he trusts yeah. as well. And I'm completely certain that those were the people that drove June to the bridge and probably, you know, mm-hmm. so he probably has some people that he, he trusts and maybe, you know, they're, they're quite sympathetic. I mean, if you think back like season three, the people that he like went to fight with, right like he was like over he had people under him like in, yeah. in the position of power in some way like he had like a team or whatever so i can see him having like a team of eyes that he's like the commander of also the border situation if you like drive across the border from the u.s into canada you're like this is nowhere close to boston <laughs> so like what he's a commander of the eyes in Gilead? Everywhere? Yeah. Yeah. And I think we lost track after Price died about who the head of the eyes would even be. Yeah. And I don't think we ever saw a succession. And it's it's possible that by the end of season four, he's become the head of the eyes just because of his position. But like also there's I still am confused by this. Maybe you guys read it in a way um that can help clarify. But in I think it's still in the finale when um June and Twello go to meet Commander Lawrence to pitch this idea of the trade. Mm-hmm. And June says something to Twello as they're going in there about, or maybe Twello was the one that says he seemed confident he'd show up or or something about somebody who she talked to. So is the is the assumption that she called Nick to arrange that meeting with Lawrence? Or to start that process or I don't think so personally because they had already she had already talked to Lawrence on the phone, right? Like they mm-hmm. talked about exchanging Hannah for the other children. Yeah, but there was another call that we didn't see and it wasn't that one. Right. But I think But does he not talk to Twello to arrange it? Yeah, I think I think that Tuello arranged another call with Lawrence to get No, because he didn't know anything about it. She was the one who picked up Twello and and they got in a car and went to that cafe. Twello didn't arrange that one. Maybe after the call that they had with Lawrence, though, she was able to communicate with him, with Lawrence. But you know what I'm saying? Like after the initial call that they arranged, she, I don't know, because I sure wish there was a burner phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which would make sense because we know for a fact that June and Nick must have talked about what they were going to do yeah. Fred at one point. So yeah. they must have talked. I know the show tries to make things like not so clear cut sometimes. Mm. They want the nuance and they want things to be um, so so that we can discuss it like this. But sometimes it's just a little bit too vague. And- it's kind of fair in a way because they want us to be able to like have some suspense in the show. Like I get that. Mm. I understand. They want us to be like, oh, what's going on? And then like, because if we'd had the call between June and Nick, it wouldn't have been a surprise that, yeah. that they were arranging for Fred to be killed there at the border. So- Which is fine, but that's why I wondered if her line to Twello, because she doesn't use anybody's name, was referencing a call to Nick that happened that we didn't see. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, it could have been. But then, why would she, this is going into season five, but then why would she have to use Tuello or the Mayday camp to get in touch with Nick? Like, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Like, right. If it wasn't for that, I would say 100% they have a burner phone. When Nick, and when they met at the school in 409, like, there's no way that they would just be like, okay, bye. I guess I'll just ask the government next time I want to call you. I don't know what it would be. I mean, like you said, the burner phone is the only way because otherwise there's too many, it's too much of a risk to try and... But they have been in contact. We know that because they arranged the whole Fred thing. So Yeah, but they have to go through certain channels to make that communication. It wouldn't make a lot of sense to be talking about those things 
through like government tunnels though like they're literally talking about killing somebody and I know yeah. Twella probably didn't know what was going to happen but I don't think they made it as official as we think so I think it would would have been weird for them to like discuss these things openly right and there's no way they talked about it in 409 right like we oh, she didn't know because she finds out at the end of 409 that Fred is yeah 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 and then there's season five Nick Let's go through the events. Season five, Nick felt kind of okay in the first scene. He was being respectful to his new wife, Rose, and he's always tried to be respectful to all the women in Gilead. Though he was definitely divulging a lot more than we would expect from him, typically. Rose seems to know that he just handed Fred over to June to murder, and she seems cool with it. But then when it came to June, his attitude on the 503 phone call, to me, seemed like worlds apart from how he'd been with her in all four preceding seasons, including when they met up only a few days before at the Magdalena School, which is one of my very favorite scenes, when he told her so genuinely he was here to do what he could. And then suddenly in 503, which is literally like a week later, like tops, maybe two weeks, let's call it. I don't know. But it's not very long afterwards. He tells June on the phone that he can't help her anymore. And his tone of voice when he tells her that Hannah was wearing purple because she was quote unquote ready. Well, it was like so far from the sweet gentle Nick that I used to that it it just like it was hard to reconcile the way that he spoke to her then and cutting her off. And, And it's just strange because, you know, he was married already. And their meetups at the end of season four. So nothing's really changed except everything seems to have changed for Nick somehow. Anyway, I did really enjoy his scenes with Mark Tuello though. I love that duo together. And then most of the season, he just kind of followed Lawrence around like a puppy dog. He does one fantastic thing this season in conjunction with Lawrence, which is killing Warren Putnam for raping Esther Keys. That was an amazing scene. He's uncomfortable when he gets home though from killing Putnam because Rose is angry at him for doing it. Now that she's pregnant, not at all a surprising reveal considering the surprise marriage plot twist last season, but it is extraordinarily disappointing. Unwinding that without assassinating his character feels nearly impossible to me, which is really sad. But who knows? I'm not the writers. Nick talks to June again in 509, and similarly, my brain just couldn't wrap my head around when he tells June right off the bat that he wished she'd said yes to moving her and Nicole back into Gilead to New Bethlehem. I just can't accept that the Nick that spent every single other season and his only concern in life was getting them to safety, getting them out of Gilead into Luke's arms, did not give a thought to his own loneliness. I just cannot reconcile that with this Nick who now wants both of his families close to him in Gilead living happily together. I don't get it. It does not jive. Um, His selflessness is what I love so much about him. So it's a real bummer, I think, for a lot of the fandom. I've seen a lot of Nick fans just drop out and stop watching. And, you know, the the fandom that was so active after season four is just like crickets now. And it's just such a bummer. But hopefully season six is amazing and invigorates the fandom for eternity. Anyway, we did see little of the Nick we're used to though in 510, thank God, when he dropped everything to go to June's side. And then, though it was also maybe out of character, I don't care. I think all the Nick fans out there rejoiced when he punched Lawrence and lands in jail because, thank God, they could see glimpses of the Nick that we knew again. As idiotic as that punch was, at least he still loves June. And that is the only thing tying him to the previous season's Nick for me. Because even outside of June, he seemed just kind of off in season five. 
Serena immediately clocked the relation between Nick marrying a family friend of the McKenzie's. But then that storyline went nowhere. It was instead presented to us that Nick genuinely courted Rose after meeting at a dance and falling for her to some extent, at least very quickly, very quickly. I think it was three months beforehand. And then she's immediately pregnant. After what happened to Eden, I just can't believe he would marry any other innocent woman, young or not, knowing how in love he is with June. It's just the wrong thing to do. And he consistently tries to do the right thing in his individual, like micro little world. Tuello himself said Nick could leave at any minute and go west, go underground, fight with the rebels. Why wouldn't he? A commander whose day is to try on life in Gilead is just a bad person if he's not doing Mayday stuff behind the scenes or, you know, trying to rescue someone or make a dent in your huge mistake you made by signing up initially for Sons of Jacob. If you're staying on to do good things in the background, underground, I mean, like that makes sense. But if you're really just doing what they're telling us Nick did in season five, which is just hanging out and seeing what commander life, how it feels, ugh, just ugh. anyway, I luckily can just focus on season one through four, Nick, and hope that season six reconciles him with the man that we thought we knew. So pre-Gilead, his motivation is family, and then he meets June, and seasons one through four, his motivation is June and Nicole and anything he can do at all to make sure they're safe. But now in season five, I don't know. It seems his motivation is to play commander and have his two families nearby and have his cake and eat it too. I don't know. It doesn't drive for me. But what did you guys have on Nick's motivations in season five? What are your thoughts on Nick in season five? Um, it just seems to me that it's never been simple for Nick as far as whether why he doesn't leave Gilead or, or um, why he stays. And I feel like it's just, it's a much more complicated situation for him. And even when June was there, I could have had conflicting feelings about the line that Twello had about you could have left with her as an eye, you had that option. I don't know that Twello understands like mm -hmm. exactly what that would mean for Nick. But also I think that what you see a lot in the first two seasons, especially with Nick and how he has to behave when it comes to June is he has to hold back a lot all the time because I'm sure there are times when he wants to intervene and help her in ways that he knows the consequences of that would probably result badly on her. And especially if he just loaded her up in the car, like he even when he said, I should have driven away with you. If, if he ever actually tried to do that they probably would have wouldn't have succeeded they probably would have been caught they would, probably would have been killed he needed there to be an actual plan in place before he would even attempt to do that well and it's what we said before like right like he gets one chance he has one death yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, yeah exactly like he doesn't regenerate so like if the, if he had done irrational things every time he wanted to mm -hmm. he'd be dead like a hundred times yeah. So it's like constantly waiting, enduring like hellish situations to try to pick the best time to like make a move. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's just not that easy though. Like one of my problems with the whole last few seasons, like you kind of through June's plot armor, you kind of feel like you don't have that sort of like sense of like how dangerous Gilead is. Like because she gets away with so much and kind of need got away with like the fact that you know held um Fred at gunpoint. Mm -hmm. You kind of get that feeling that it's not as dangerous anymore but like people just right. can't just pick up and leave like that's not how it works like you you had an example with like Eden and Isaac like if mm -hmm. you just run away people would send you in and you can't just go and even though you may have connections you're an eye and he's 
connected it wasn't that easy because that's why it took so long to like even try to get her out like sure. going through like the net the mark network was difficult um going through mayday in season one and beginning of season two that was difficult as well so, like it's not that easy clearly Mm-mm. well and i also feel like i mean nick says afterwards like well i'm nothing she doesn't need me whatever like which mm-hmm. is his simple way of explaining like he didn't really expect to just get out of Gilead and like live a life of June. Like that was never mm-hmm. on the table as an option, really. So it's like, I think for him, he just, he knows like I've done some bad shit. I deserve to be here, but it's more than that to me. Cause I think it's like his options. Okay. He defects to Canada and goes to jail. That's one option. Mm-hmm. The other mm-hmm. option is he stays in Gilead and like tries to do something to make it better. So one of those options is he's just rotting in a jail cell. The other option is he's like attempting to do something, mm-hmm. whatever that is. And I agree with that. But the problem with that is that we don't actually see him being proactive yeah. against Gilead in season five. Like we don't. we don't, but that is what you think, right? Like that's what you assume at the end of season four. Yeah, yeah season five fucked it. But yeah, <laughs> that's what we assume at the end of season four is like, well, yeah, because think about the position he's in. He's a commander. He's been an eye or he is an eye. I mean, he has access to intel that would be really helpful to Mayday or the underground movement. And yep. having it, I mean, if we if we think about things he said in season four, friendlies and working with the Martha Network, he does seem to have those contacts and those ties. Um, we don't see that in season five, but that to me does not erase the fact that we did see it at points um, from in seasons one through, well, one, two, and four. I don't know if we really saw that in three, but still, I just feel like that's something that I still attribute to his character. And, and I think the way they conclude this series in season six will just confirm or deny whether or not how strong that um, those contacts actually have been and what the work he's been doing possibly actually has been yeah so because you know if it, it, that's another thing that the underground movement or mayday loses if he leaves is if he's a really important source for them or resource for them then they lose that access if he's just if he's gone because he is probably one of the i mean only commanders that they would ever trust with anything uh-huh so he's in a position of actual important power and like Tuello kind of mentions that to him like in the, the first scene where they're on the dark road in episode two of season five i think it is where tuello is like you know to survive this long you have to be like really good at this like really good at spying Mm -hmm. you know whatever so i think like to nick he's never thought of it that way so it's that and then it's also the fact that Mackenzie is kind of onto him right away so he's like in a really compromised position very quickly after that conversation. So yeah, I don't know. I like, I do think that there's an opportunity to make him who we've thought he's been for the last four seasons. If they do it in season six, um, the way mm-hmm. that we see him. <laughs> I think it's totally possible. Yeah. I mean, I had written down like, the, the new Bethlehem thing is a big problem for me because I just don't, I can't see any, there's only one way I can justify him like wanting or or seeming like he wants June and Nicole in New Bethlehem. And that's just if it's some kind of a chess move, like if he's just yeah. wanting June to like say that she would move there to appease Lawrence and keep June from trying something dangerous because Nick is working behind the scenes on a plan for Hannah getting closer to the McKenzie's. And then like he's in a dangerous position because of you know, Commander McKenzie being on to him. Like, I can see all of that making some sense. Yeah. And if they show us that in season six, 
I'll be like just delighted because that's like the only path I can see to it not being kind of a ludicrous plot to me because why would Nick who's been so focused on getting June and and Holly slash Nicole out of Gilead for like three seasons and then you know one seasons one two three until June doesn't leave with Nicole but up until that point that's been his like life goal mm-hmm. yeah why just like a few weeks later would he completely drastically change as a character and yeah. want her to come back like it doesn't make any sense not just that but but the fact that he believes what Lawrence is doing so fully and that he believes this is a possibility for Gilead reform with like, like this little subdivision within Gilead is going to be this safe bubble yep. and that he believes, I mean, to, to me, it's, it's, it's hard for me to buy that this Nick who has been so smart for so long and has survived in Gilead by playing the game, but also being very kind of, he's, he, he's always thinking about the consequences and he's, and I feel like he's very careful about how he's made each of his choices. So all of a sudden, for him to be believing everything that Lawrence is saying about New Bethlehem, to believe that this is going to be a safe place, safe enough that he would trust to bring June and his daughter, the people he loves the most. (laughs) Yeah, the people he loves the most back. And, you know, um, he had a line in that cutscene about I'm in a position where I can protect you better mm-hmm. or something like that. And that is that was the only thing. Oh, the cutscene from episode seven, I think it is from the episode before it. I think it was from eight. It's just that that was the only thing that I don't know if it made sense, but it just like in his mind. Maybe he felt like with her in Canada, even though, quote unquote, she should be safe, he also felt helpless because there was literally nothing he could do himself to protect her and and Nicole. Maybe somehow he thought that this plan that Lawrence had gave him an opportunity if she was actually there to actually protect her if he thought that he was in a, a better position to help her. It's still a stretch. You know, it's still a stretch that he would actually want that. I did want to say something about the the phone call, just because for me, I know we've we've all had mixed feelings about the phone call scene. And um, I kind of think all interpretations are valid, of course. But like, for me, it, it seems like and this is how Nick seemed to me and when in relation to June all season is that he just seemed really guarded with her. And I feel like a lot of his behavior in that phone call scene, even though it was out of character from what we've seen of him before, fit in my mind because of the position he's in. He was standing in, you know, his home that he shares with his wife and he's talking to June on a line he's maybe not entirely sure if he can trust. I feel like all of those things are kind of putting him on guard and he's being very careful about what he says to her. And also I discussed this with a a friend, um, Handmaid's friend who's outside the group in the podcast, but she was, we were discussing him saying the thing about the wives school and how she's ready and everything. Because I think what our interpretation was, was that for Nick, he doesn't perceive this as an immediate threat, or he doesn't perceive it as an immediate danger for Hannah. And I think he has that understanding of it, even though it's hard for June to hear that she's at wives school. I mean, that's obviously a scary thing for June to hear, but it's I don't think he sees this. It's not in in his mind. This is still maybe a year or two out for Hannah. It's not something that's going to happen immediately. And perhaps that explains why he said it in that way. And also, I just felt like he was really overwhelmed. Like by the end of that conversation, he is trying so hard not to emote. He's trying so hard not to uh, give into the feelings that he's he's has. So that's why it all just, you know, we see him with the fantasy of kissing her. And then it's like he has to like 
hang up the phone and end it. And that's how I've always kind of seen that scene. It's not one of my favorite Nick and Jim scenes of, of, of the whole five seasons, but I kind of understand it. I kind of understand his behavior and how it plays out. I mean, I think it would make a lot more sense for me because of the cut moment where I guess Rose is supposed to be listening to the conversation or she walks in at the end of the phone call. It was in the trailer. But even if she wasn't in the shot, I could I could assume that he believes she could be within earshot. Yeah, yeah. I think that it makes a little bit more sense that way uh, because obviously he wants to seem detached even though he's not and he's trying to be detached. Yeah, are you, I do agree with Rachel. I think he's throughout the whole season, even when they meet up in season nine, he, he's made his motivation for the season is to move on and mm-hmm. let, let her go. June move on with her life as well. Like yeah. mm-hmm. he says that a few times. And I think that in order to do that, he does have to kind of remove all of his feelings for her and kind of pretend that he, does, he doesn't have those feelings for her because otherwise it's very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. What is difficult for me to understand, which is what Kate just mentioned, is that this is only a few days after the meeting in... 409 so it's it does make sense when you you know you think about it and what you said mm-hmm. Rachel, is true but this is only coming a few days afterwards he's already married right it's not changed that much from season four end of season four we just found out that they met out to like kill fred so it's really difficult to kind of be like yeah. okay well he's completely changed his character i know what has changed his character but why mm-hmm. why days apart like no that's true i agree with that it hasn't been that long since he helped her kill her rapist and said i'm here to do what i can so that's absolutely true here to do what i can less than a week later nope can't do anything for you (laughs) that's weird right i also feel like what you were saying rachel earlier like about him you know maybe thinking she's not safe in canada and like new bethlehem might be a better idea or whatever like i i could sort of buy that if it was an episode 10 of season five like the finale of the season it's just that, yeah. that point, and the attempts on her life had already happened. Like nothing had really happened. Yeah. So it's like mm-hmm. him him wanting her to come to New Bethlehem makes no sense if he's not thinking that she's in danger. And I don't know sure. that he would have her to think she was in danger until the truck ran over her. Yeah. But it makes even less sense because at the beginning of the season, you've got the dinner with Serena and the Mackenzies. Mm-hmm. Commander Mackenzie actually says, you know, she's a cancer, we have to do something about her like they threaten her they, they want to get to her so why would he want her closer to the reach like it just makes no sense and as you said like if that had happened at the end of the season when we already know that Obligile also has reach in Canada would he should probably mm-hmm. already do that then it would make no sense but yeah and it's also the fact that you know at the end of the season we, we've got the oh well you know I'm not worthy I'm nothing no one to her and you know she's she's got people to care for her and he's resigned to the fact that she's with Luke and that they're meant to be together and he can't have that life with her but she's still fighting for her to like come back to him like, mm-hmm. and being with her like in any capacity has never been his motivation like even though yeah, he exactly. mentions like oh Hawaii like cool like that's just a daydream that's just like a way to survive guilt yeah. right like it's never something that he thinks will really happen it's just he knows that June got torn away from a life she had before him and his goal is to reunite her with her wife like unless she tells him I don't you know I'm not wanting that anymore he's not yeah. gonna know that so to him like there'd be no reason for him to think to even consider it as an option for them to yeah. be together in any way so it just yeah it's kind of weird Picking up a summary, 
going forward, Nick's in insanely dangerous territory, not just because of the fact he's in jail and he's admitted to every important commander on the East Coast that he's in love with Killian's number one enemy. <laughs> I mean, those are some serious changes, yes. And if he just gets off scot-free, I'll be very confused. But what I really mean is Rose's baby. There's almost no possible way for Nick to handle that situation without being a terrible person, which is why I maintain he would never have gotten her pregnant until the very end of the two years that they have to try before getting a handmaid. Anyway, his options are now stay in Gilead as commander, raise his baby with Rose, continue condoning Gilead commander's way of life, terrible person. Leave Gilead, abandon wife and baby, terrible person. Yeah, I mean, there is that um, theory that some people have that Rose was already pregnant when they got married. Hi, theory. (laughs) The timeline is incredibly short because they really had not been married very long. I think like they talk about meeting three months ago at the dinner party. I mean, it it just seems like this is whirlwind. (laughs) Like they they got married very quickly. She got pregnant very quickly. And it's possible it's not his baby. However, the only thing that put a snag in that line of thought was why didn't he tell June that? No, Rachel, don't do it. No. <laughs> what? But I have I have a counter to this too. Like maybe there's a reason for why. Even though he trusts June, that would be something he would need to keep secret under locking key, like from everybody. Could be a reason why he doesn't tell even June that. He just tells her that she's pregnant. Because he keeps looking off to the side a lot while he's in this. Mm, he yeah. seems really kind of distracted. So it's possible there's another reason for why he wouldn't tell her. To be fair, like it doesn't, it wouldn't make any difference to the fact that he can't leave Rose. So yeah. even if the baby's yeah. not his, he's still not going to leave her. Like that's not the kind of man he is. There is still a responsibility, his responsibility. Yeah. He, yeah. So he still can't leave. So what he said to June, even if the baby's not his, it would, would still make sense. I mean, at the end of the season, she's the one who's who's leaving him. And maybe that's why he says you can't just leave. I don't know. Right. She says that to him because she's like fed up with the June situation, which, okay. But then he's like, you can't leave because he knows that that you can't just like get a divorce in Gilead. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah, I don't know. I, I personally think of the whole baby thing. The main reason for the baby is to actually have something Nick the reason for Nick not to leave like yeah they just needed him to have a really really good reason to stay behind that plus it creates another complication between him and June yeah yeah so otherwise it'd be, it would have been too easy it, it definitely feels like something that should be a complication but I think like June understands Gilead more than anybody else would yeah as Case mentioned there's no good way of like dealing with the baby because mm-hmm. Whatever happens, either if even if they do lose the baby, that's going to be incredibly traumatic for Nick. And does he need that added trauma with everything that's happened to him and mm-hmm. with Eden and everything else? Like, yep. yeah, yeah, it'd be very unrealistic to have yet another baby being born with no difficulties in definitely the world. Yeah, get it. What kind of guilt would he feel about that? And just, I don't know, well, probably, yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about our favorite favorite Nick scenes. I was on the episode for um, season two, episode nine, and my favorite scene is the ending where Nick brings all the information to June from Luke and and everything. But what I didn't think about at the time, and it it occurred to me later on, was something that made it even more extraordinary to me, was because you know we always say that he comes back and he tells her everything Luke said word for word, which is absolutely true. Except he, it also occurred to me that he didn't tell June everything. There was 
something that happened that he held back. And if he were a lesser man, he would have included this. But he um, did not include the detail of Luke getting pissed at him and shoving him and telling him to get the fuck out. And, you know, then having a change of heart. I mean, I think the fact that he did not include information that would make Luke look bad was also something he did for both June and for Luke out of respect for both of them, which just, again, it just gave it another layer to me. It was like, not only did he deliver all of the news that would make her happy, regardless of how it would make him feel, but he also withheld information that I don't know, maybe a more selfish man would have used it to benefit himself. Like your, your husband was a total asshole to me and tried to, and pushed me and told me to get the fuck out. But he absolutely did not include that at all. And I just, I, it just elevated the scene even more to me. I was Mm. like, ah, It's just another thing that he did. I mean, it probably came and went for him and it wasn't even a significant thing. It just, it struck me that, you know, he could have told her that and he didn't. And that's like a a detail that didn't, it wouldn't have shined a nice light on Luke, but he held it back and she'll never, you know, she doesn't have to know that part. There's another reason why he probably, like in his eyes, like he probably does think he deserves to be pushed by him or like, you know, he's so empathetic that he understands why Luke would react that way. Mm-hmm. And in a low-key way, he probably does feel like he maybe deserves that sort of treatment from Luke. Especially like knowing that the pregnant, like he's he's lying about the pregnancy to an extent, yeah. like saying it's a lot of words, mm-hmm. like just because that'd be too complicated. Like, But then that's also sad to like, He's doing it for Luke's benefit because, and for June's benefit, because that is not his place to tell him that, you know, mm-hmm. he's yeah. sleeping with his wife. Like, that's for June to tell him if she ever wants sure? to do it. Yeah, literally on both sides of the conversation, he's he's do, he's only saying the things that will not hurt the person he's speaking to. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, or will hurt them the least. Like to Luke and June. Yeah. And he's trying hard to walk that line and being respectful towards both of them at the same time. Yeah. Because he's, like you just said, Raquel, he's showing respect towards June and not saying, you know, this is my baby because that's not his place to tell yeah. Luke that he's leaving that for June to have that conversation with her husband. And on June's side, he's telling her the things that he knows is going to make her happy. And it's it's just an amazing moment for him. And that's such a like perfect kind of overall example of who Nick is, right? Because it's like, he's somebody Mm -hmm. that can manage to say the fewest amount of words to like be honest and not hurt someone as like as much as possible. Mm -hmm. He's being honest to Luke without violating June's privacy or without like hurting Luke more than necessary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And same with her. Yeah, exactly. And I really like at the end how he just offers that sort of like unconditional love. Like, look, this is clearly probably changes our relationship. Your husband's been waiting for you. I know you still have feelings for him, but I do love you and I'm going to love you no matter what. I don't expect anything. Doesn't even kiss her in the lips. And another thing that's really like important to me in that scene is that she's so heavily pregnant with his child and he's still like removing himself from that sort of like position of like look i understand that this is you know this is between you and your husband i'm not going to invade any of like your privacy when he kisses her it's on the cheek doesn't expect anything from her he just lips the i love you as in like i'm gonna love you no matter what and i love how unconditional that sort of like love for her is is perfect scene yeah the way he says that he loves her and the way he leaves like a space between explaining about luke and then saying that to her and it's when like, he turns around as well to like give her that moment of like mm-hmm. joy or like happy about the news and is like, I'm not even going to look. Yeah. 
I'm just going to give you that space. It's just, yeah, it's perfectly scripted and perfectly acted. Yeah. yeah, because like regardless of how she feels about him, he wants her to know how he feels about her because it's important for her to feel that in Gilead, right? Like to feel like that she matters and that people care about her and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like, that's all that he cares about in that scene is like, I'm telling you this. I want you to feel good about what I what happened. And then I love you. And that's it. And I don't need you to say anything. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is. It's like the ultimate Nick scene for me. It just told me everything I needed to know about his character. And, yeah. and you know, when things get a little bit wobbly with his character later on and like in season five, it's like, I have to think about moments like that, that they gave us. That's like, that's still to me, like the core of his character. Mm-hmm. And as um, Kate said, um, it's just at the beginning that I like all of TV, like I've watched so many shows, but this yes. character is so like consistent. It has been so consistent for so many seasons until season five. I know. It's had four years of perfection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's go back to what Max said about he tries to put on the Gilead shoes and finds at the end that they don't fit. So it's like season five, he made an attempt to go a little bit more earnest in with Gilead and this marriage, etc. But at the end, he punches out Lawrence. He ends up in jail things don't seem to be going great with Rose and it's it's like maybe this is this the point where he can flip back and be more the Nick that we came to know him as but yep we'll hope for it all right you want to say your favorite quotes Nick quotes mine is don't be deceived God is not to be mocked for whatever man says so shall he reap you did this to yourself commander love that scene epic Uh, epic perfect wonderful my favorite is you shouldn't wear anything for me. <laughs> Close to perfect. But I, I do want to put the caveat that I, I've, I've come to love it even more, not just because it always struck me as such a sex, sexy and suggestive line, but because we've said in our discussions how it has a double, a possible mm-hmm. double meaning, totally. depending on whether you, you uh, emphasize the wear anything or the for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love that about that line. Well, this is like classic Nick, right? It's like saying like a few words and having it mean like a bunch of different. Yes, mm-hmm. so good. It's so good. Yeah, I think my I, I'm just sitting here thinking about it. Like my favorite's probably on the bridge in 403 when he's like talking to her about Hannah and she's crying and stuff, and then he's like, "Hey, it's like my favorite right there." Oh yes, yeah, like, kind of like <laughs> yes. push the back. In. Um, I've got another one. Um, I really like when um, at the end of season one, one ten, when they like he finds out about the pregnancy. They no, it's not when she says it's terrible. Mm-hmm. It's just so simple, but yes. it's got such um, it's such a meaningful message to be like this is good. It's, it's a good thing. The fact that he loved that baby from like the very beginning, what she couldn't even bring herself to love. I just yeah, I think it was really good as well. Yeah, I like. Most of Nick's quotes, I feel like, are either like what you said, Raquel, like the really cool Bible quote, or like two words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they have layered meaning. Almost all the time, they have layered meaning. Yeah, it's super meaningful. They always have made a really deep meaning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, I think that's a wrap on our discussions of Nick Blaine. Um, I just wanted to clarify too, though, that even though we are like very honest about our opinions of Nick in season five or our concerns with how different his character seemed, we also have faith in him. We definitely trust the four seasons of Nick Blaine more than the anomalies of the season. And hopefully season six will clarify uh, if he's still the guy that we thought he was or something different, but we can't wait to find out what he's got in store in season six. So anyway, Serena is up next. We're super excited about that one. 
Come back in three weeks for that. So that one's going to be on Friday, November 10th, just because of scheduling conflicts and editing. So we will see you in three weeks. Hope you enjoy Halloween in the meantime. And thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.